and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we discuss and review movies, TV shows, trailers, and pretty much anything pop culture. In today's episode, we will be looking at Disney Plus series, Loki, season one, episode two, titled The Variant. My name is Emmett, and I'm joined by my co-host and Coney Island's 2002 Peach Cobbler Gobbler champion, Ivan. And runner-up to the hot dog eating competition, too. Yeah, like I, to point that out. I wanted to give you your, your flowers, uh, you know, on <laughs> the first place. I didn't want to look at second places, because well, it's just the first loser. It was so close. So close to a double title there. Yeah. Hot dog and bun. That's the problem. <laughs> Heart disease, here I come. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have a little bit of a loaded episode today. Yeah, I'm very excited for this one. Uh, this this show's getting really, really good. But is there anything newsworthy-wise that you would want to jump into first? I detailed out a few things here. Nothing's like super, super exciting. It's just a couple, um, I feel like, little tidbits that came out throughout um, the last week or so. More interestingly enough, and I think something... I think that kind of came out on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. But Tyrese Gibson, who's one of the actors who's playing a supporting role on Morbius, did an interview, uh, and apparently he let it slip that the movie takes place within the MCU. That being said, I feel like most of the time actors kind of think they gave something away, but maybe aren't quite as informed as it could be, right? Like, they keep be just mistaken that this is a Marvel movie, quote-unquote, but not necessarily within the MCU. There's been a lot of fan debate over whether Morbius and the Venom movies take place in the MCU or not, um, especially after the Morbius trailer gave away that we're getting the Vulture played by the same actor in the same universe. So everybody's kind of like, all right, are they tied together? Are they not? To further confuse the people, it looks like there's <laughs> the debate is still kind of ongoing, but it seems like, at least on the actor front, they're under the impression that it is taking place within the MCU. Yeah, that might just be a case of he doesn't know what MCU actually stands for. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> it, it could be that, right? Because like to, to your average Joe, you're like, hey, is it a Marvel movie? You're going to think MCU. You're like, yeah, it is a Marvel movie. Something on, the, on a similar vein, but... A lot more, I guess, official. There was a leaked teaser uh, trailer showing off the logo for Spider-Man No Way Home. That was no uploaded way. to... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it was uploaded to um, Sony Argentina's Twitter account. Which, by the way, I had no idea. I thought Sony just had like a Latin America account and they were covering like all Latin American countries that way because that's how they typically do things. But anyway, really cool to kind of see um, they're actually divvying it up by country. But apparently they uploaded some sort of graphic uh, let, late last week where they had the Spider-Man No Way Home logo and they would glitch every couple seconds or so similar to the that little effect you'd see in Into the Spider-Verse. So it got people riled up and excited. And the reason why we know it's kind of like a legitimate thing is because they quickly removed it <laughs> and then uh, kind of moved off of it. So they made no reference to doing it. And this isn't the first time they did it. Apparently they had some sort of like tease before a, I believe it was like a movie convention in Brazil where they similarly had left a promo on Twitter that they then promptly took down asking people who their favorite Spider-Man was. And at the end of that video, it would be, it basically showcased all three of them and said, oh, well, soon you don't have to choose because they're all in this movie. And they quickly scrapped that too. So it's one of the worst kept secrets, I feel like. This movie's kind of have all its secrets spilled out before it comes out. We're not really finding out anything new with every update. <laughs> On this no, movie. 
Like, we already it's, know everything. Yeah, it's, it's just, like, confirmation that, oh, remember that thing that you were speculating about? It's true. And then just last two things, I think I'm just going to combine these into, into one, but... Uh, but hold on, before you switch gears yeah. there, on the Marvel front, too, uh, I don't know if you watched the Variety Actors on Actors interviews. I did. I didn't see Marvel actors on it. I did see the one with uh, Pedro Pascal and Ewan McGregor, though. Yeah, that one was really good, too. Um, the one I'm thinking about is Elizabeth Olsen did one with uh, Kaylee Cuoco. And it might be a little bit older. I don't know. It seemed like it was pretty new stuff, but... Um, Elizabeth Olsen also confirmed that she's like pretty heavily in the uh, Doctor Strange movie. And that's the first time I think we hear from her of of that being the case, right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really... I feel like all the rumors for Marvel are around Spider-Man that I haven't really paid attention or heard anything for Doctor Strange. Yeah, I think the rumor was that she was going to be in it, or maybe it was official. I don't know. It's hard to keep track of these. Yeah, but that was also out there. And then I also recommend watching those those videos. Yeah, I got I got to take a look at it. I didn't see I didn't see that one come out. It might be something a little bit older, but I really enjoyed that Ewan McGregor and Pedro Pascal one. Yeah, theirs was really good. But on Star Wars news, since we're talking about Ewan McGregor and Pedro Pascal, uh, Mandalorian season three not coming out this year. And I think we kind of jumped to that conclusion already before, but. Um, it seems like they're waiting until the Kenobi series is shot before they can get into production. And we probably won't be seeing it until 2022. So chances are we won't see Mando until the end of 2022 if they follow the same kind of release schedule that they're doing uh, these past two years. So mm. um, both, both of those actors on actors were last week. They were? Yeah. Okay. I got to go back and take a look at the Elizabeth Olsen one then. Um, but yeah, so Book of Boba Fett, it looks like it's going to be more of a 2.5 uh, for a season 2.5 of Mandalorian, because it'll include Din, the Mandalorians, and a couple of other supporting characters. Um, and similarly, the Ahsoka show is moving into pre-production, uh, set to begin shooting in late 2021, uh, with rumors circulating that they're bringing back Barriss Afi from Clone Wars. And um, I guess in... In bad news on the Star Wars front, the show The Rangers of the New Republic has been put on the ice for now. And there's talks of potentially bringing back Gina Carano as Cara Dune. But given the fallout that we saw at the end of last year, I'm not sure how, you know, I don't know. It seems a little bit early, but who knows? Yeah. If given the option, would you rather have Book of Boba drop on time or have Mandalorian uh, delay? Boba Fett. Um, I think I'd rather see Book of Boba release first. Really? Yeah, I feel like while I really like Mandalorian, and especially I feel like the end of season two gave me a little bit of a a nice little ending for me to be satisfied at the moment. Like, there's no pressing question, right? Like, I feel like it'd be different if they ended it on a cliffhanger, uh, and like like a real nail biter situation. But they kind of wrap things up pretty well. Well, what does he do with the Darksaber now? Does he go back to Mandalore? No, yeah, there's definitely more story to tell. I'm just saying there's nothing that I immediately need an answer for, you know? Well, I need an answer to that. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I I feel like they, they keep describing Bo- Book of Boba as a C- season 2.5. So I wonder if we are going to just see the continuation there 
in some ways. No, it's just going to be him chilling in, in Jabba's palace. <laughs> I, I definitely am looking forward to Book of Boba Fett, though. Especially now that I know it's not a prequel series. It's just a sequel to what we saw uh, of Boba in Season 2. And Disney Plus has been killing it with these shows. So. That is for sure. That's all I got for news, though. Good. Now we can move on. <laughs> uh, let's get into general thoughts. Spoiler-free edition of the Loki episode. Yeah. You want me to kick it off, or you want to give us your thoughts first? You kick it off, but just don't read my thoughts like you do. I'll read yours, <laughs> and then you read mine. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like this episode continues the Disney Plus trend of delivering some great dialogue. Uh, I think it was a pretty solid episode with great pacing kind of a deep mystery kind of vibe from it um, and plays up the whodunit factor. Uh, Loki, at least for me now, seems to be having the strongest start out of all the MCU shows. And by that, I mean, like, not just the pilot episode, but the second episode is pretty consistent with with the first. I feel like more often than not, you have a really strong start, and then the second episode just kind of tapers off a little bit. Not really feeling that with this show, though. Yeah, and just looking at the math of it we're at about four weeks worth of wandavision uh runtime so it does make sense that it's like progressing into a storyline faster because it's all over two weeks instead of over four weeks uh but as far as runtime i feel like it's still progressing pretty quick i feel like at this point in wandavision we we're still trying to figure out what's going on not that we know exactly what's going on yet in this show but it just feels different uh, and I really, really love this episode. I think, uh, like you said, it's like the who done it. It's I think this goes, you know, toe to toe not only with anything that Marvel produces, but among some of the great like criminal detective sh- series. Um, obviously, we'll need more episodes to be able to really rank it anywhere. But it it kind of almost gives me like true detective vibes. Um, not uh, and that and like not saying the writing is nearly as good, but. Uh, I, th- I think it's really, really well done on uh, like a cop show kind of thing. And I think it's really a like friendly entrance into the Marvel world if you didn't watch phases one through three. While it's still pretty plot heavy and, and you, it's nice to know what happened in those uh, 20 movies, uh, they explain what they're doing and what they're talking about in a way that doesn't feel like they're slowing down for the people who are experienced viewers too much i think it i think it's really well paced out i feel like these shows have been like almost like getting onto a very fun roller coaster but then like wandavision was a roller coaster where they blindfolded you first for the first half of the trip so you're not quite sure what the heck's going on but you know you're enjoying it and then i feel like this is the first show where it's a pretty good roller coaster you're not blindfolded. You can see exactly where you're going. <laughs> so you kind of you have this opportunity to, to kind of take it in and, and enjoy the ride for what it is. Um, so I'm I'm definitely yeah I'm definitely there with you. I feel like this is a show that, mind you, I didn't really have much of an expectation for it anyway. But it's it's doing good, and I feel like it's it's just another strong uh, case study to this was a pretty good direction for Marvel to go and uh, to tell these stories in this format on this platform yeah i mean the the thing we're seeing is that this this format of show and storytelling works for every degree of character like loki was a main character in phase one 
and and kind of throughout uh, the rest as well. And his show is doing really well. Falcon and Winter Soldier were kind of like sidekick characters uh, whose show did really well as well. And then Wanda, the, the feedback on that show has been amazing. And both she and Vision were like, they they were in what, two movies? <laughs> Bits and pieces of it? Yeah, it, it's done a lot to flesh out these supporting characters. And I gotta say too, like, I wonder what they're going to do when some of these characters go from, like, B-level status to, like, A-level status. Are you just graduating them to their own movies and that's where we continue the flow? Or, I don't know, I feel like I'm going to get to a point where I would kind of want a season two of some of these shows. Not some of the ones we've seen already, but I feel like like that'd be pretty cool to have, right? I don't know about season two. I, I like the single season format, um, especially if you were looking at giving pretty much everyone their own show. I think it would be way too much to juggle, uh, like caring about and just following all the plot lines. But I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of characters that I would like to see worked in. But uh, I think the way that it should be done is what WandaVision did, where it's you give like one or two of the quote-unquote main characters, you know, their time to shine. But then you bring in other characters that you want to see more of, like a Darcy or a Jimmy Woo. Um, I don't know if we're going to get that with Loki. We got that with Sharon Carter in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I'd like to see them bring in, um, not necessarily like a Thor, but I don't know, like a Lady Sif type of character, like somebody who's from the Loki realm and bring it into this show. Is there somebody from the A-list characters that you feel like might be due for a pretty good show? Their own show? Yeah. Hmm. Like, honestly, I would love to see a um, Iron Man show telling the story of those five years that we kind of lost in Endgame. I could also see, like, a Hulk show of, like, him going through the process of becoming the Professor Hulk. Yeah. That five-year gap, too, like, this is... There's a lot to explore. Yeah, and, and you still have the main roster of the Avengers there, so you could always pivot back to that if, like, in the future, just striving for more content. I, I'm sure there's, like, a plethora of stories to tell there. The only thing I would say against the Iron Man uh, pitch would be he's already gotten a trilogy of movies. I think it's, you know, at a certain point, you're just doing too much fan service. That's true. That's true. I just feel like at some point, you know how like we go through waves of like, oh, here's the Christian Bale Batman. Now we're at Ben Affleck <laughs> Batman. It's a little different, right? Because like, for example, Michael Keaton as Batman, we waited, what, like 10 plus years before seeing um, somebody else on the role. But I, I don't think that's the best example because I feel like that's 89. We had like two other Batman in between that 10 years span, but you get what I mean. Like the franchise didn't continue. They just rebooted. And I feel like Marvel... It's probably not going to do that for a while. No. So if they ever want to go back and tell an Iron Man story, it has to be Robert Downey Jr. Because it's still within the same universe. They can't just reboot it. Well, pretty soon when we tear the fabric of reality, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, so let's leave it there for the spoiler-free uh, section. So if you haven't seen it and you still plan to, uh, you should probably pause the podcast and come back to it later. 
Otherwise, we're going to get into scenes, characters, and plot discussion now. So we open up the episode with Loki uh, learning about the TVA from Minutes, the animated clock mascot of the TVA. Uh, pretty funny opening, but again, this is like one of those scenes that uh, it, it just is setting a baseline of understanding for everybody kind of thing. And they do that a lot in this episode. They do. We, we get a lot of time. We get a lot of exposition. And not just in this one, too. Like I feel like the first episode did a pretty good job of balancing that out as well. Because, like I said before, it, it broke the show-don't-tell rule a, a bit. But if you're telling a story this complex, you can't show everything. It, it might be just easier to explain it. I think because they are dealing with an issue as sensitive as you know, like time travel... And I think they know the response that fans had for Endgame, how not everyone was on board with their uh, definition of time travel. I think they kind of learned their lesson, like, we need to just be very clear with how we are talking about this. Like, you even see it later on in the Renaissance Fair scene when Loki is going back in time with the TVA team. He's like, why don't we just go back before the attack, which is a very, like, simple-minded thought that I'm pretty sure like everyone had and I still don't know why why they can't just go back before and prune the whole event before it happens but they they just say they say no you have to go to the most recent or like the furthest far like the farthest advanced portion of the timeline that's branching off yeah I feel like anytime we get into the explanation as to how time works my head's always like hurting at the end of the conversation because i'm like trying to wrap my head around it um (laughs) it's it's an interesting concept but yeah i feel like some of this some of the rules are a little silly at times i think they overcomplicated a little too much um and they could they could keep it simple and still have a really good plot and and story to tell what's that um there was there was some sort of it was either a movie or a show or something that's science fiction and popular with time travel that I thought one of the rules of time travel before in fiction was like you can't go back to a set time where there's another version of yourself or something like that because where you can't meet your past self. I don't know where those rules came from. I feel like it's Back to the Future probably. I think that's Back to the Future. Yeah. Which is exactly what Scott Lang <laughs> talked to Tony Stark about <laughs> and got made fun of for, so... I'll leave it alone there. <laughs> no, it it is confusing because I guess in this, in the TVA's world, you could theoretically go to a time period where there are two Lokis. They're, they're trying to get um, a variant, which I'm still trying to understand. Like th- These branch timelines, I guess, result in complete alternate realities or are they just somewhat of a variation of the main timeline? Because like, if there's a lady Loki out there, then, uh, you know, what kind of changed? <laughs> you get what I mean? Like, how many circumstances had to happen for that to, to result in a lady Loki? Yeah, here's the, the, the thing that I'm hung up on, on trying to understand. I think we're skipping ahead in the episode a little bit, but I think that's totally fine. Um, we'll come back to the Renaissance Fair later. I think it, it's really difficult to understand how they've set up the single verse uh, 
it seems to me, and at least just like looking at the cartoon infographic from the episode one, uh, it seems to me that the timekeepers didn't like mold it in mold all those uh, multiverse timelines into one. It looks like they sort of like entwined them together so that it's they're all kind of like parallel and existing within this like red line that they've described in this show. So to me, it it, it seems like each one of those uh, timelines has a variation of each person, right? So like there's they we saw like four or five different Lokis in this episode, uh, which each one I guess would be from a different timeline. But then how do they get onto a shared timeline, or are they going back? Like are they becoming a variant on their timeline? But then how does Loki meet Lady Loki? Like it's very confusing what they're trying to do because like how do you get a Lady Loki and this Loki and those three other Lokis in the same single timeline if if that's what they're saying there, there's only one timeline yeah so i feel like you might be onto something in terms of like they didn't compress the multiverse into one universe but rather almost intertwine them because the way that i kind of envisioned it was like or the way that i kind of interpreted the first episode was i took it to mean that they literally got rid of all the other um universes and made the multiverse into one universe but i feel like you're you may be right in that it's probably still multiple universes, but they all follow a singular flow, and that's the timeline, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's one singular timeline, but it's different on every on every single one of those universes. And if you change anything within the universe, then that creates a branch, I guess. Yeah, and this is like the the really dangerous part of like not explaining it within the first two episodes, because now it's like we start building up our own thoughts and theories on what it means. And if you tell us something different of what, like how you would define it by the fifth episode, it's, that's where the trouble comes in because it's like, it doesn't meet our expectation. Yeah. So I feel like this should have been kind of addressed in this episode when you're taking the time to explain the different types of Loki variants that there are explain how they end up all together on the same timeline right or are there like six loki's walking around which means there's like six thors and six like whoever you know yeah well it was funny on the briefing that they did before the renaissance fair mission um the seeing the different variations of roki of of roki of loki (laughs) um there was one that looked like a simpsons version of of loki there but like absolutely shredded and with horns like legitimate horns that one that briefing was before the uh 2050 mission was it yes okay. the briefing before the renaissance fair is when loki acts like he's super intelligent and starts talking about the difference between uh like cloning himself or just appearing like a clone uh and everyone kind of like is more annoyed with him than impressed. <laughs> and you can tell that like Owen Wilson's character in this, uh, in this episode, uh, Mobius is losing patience with Loki. Yeah. Although it's, it's weird because I feel like there's almost this, like, it's almost like he's, he kind of drops his Loki drops his guard a little bit around Owen Wilson's character. Yeah. And it's very difficult to tell what 
angle he's playing at. And this, I think, is the only downside to this show. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's the good guy at heart who's playing a bad guy to seem tougher than reality. And then he plays, he's really pretending to be a good guy, which is his true nature. And then he shows that he's actually a bad guy to Lady Loki later on. Like, just pick a lane and stay in it, man. Like... <laughs> That, that's a, that's going to be the only downside of this show is like either ending that they choose for this for this show is going to be seen as predictable. Either he's actually the good guy all along and he stops Lady Loki and he doesn't try and overthrow the timekeepers. And that's predictable because like that's the evolution of Loki or he is a bad guy and assumes command by like disguising himself like he did when he was Odin in Ragnarok. Yeah, I feel like he's very motivated by selfishness. So it's hard to kind of tell when he's being genuine and when it's not the case. When like he's actually doing something for the legitimate like for a good reason and when he's not. But it, it just feels like his character is always seeking validation from others. That's literally been his motivation for everything. So it's always hard to tell where he's allied into, because as much as he was a good guy at the end of his run during Endgame, all throughout Ragnarok, yeah, throughout Ragnarok, you're thinking, when is he going to betray <laughs> Thor? And he so, does it, like when he when they're going to steal the Grand Master ship, like he is going to betray him then. Yeah, he so only like, like narrowly doesn't do it because of because Thor actually outwitted him for once. Um, but that's the problem is that like you've taken a character that has uh, backstabbed and also supported people way too many times that it's like it's almost predictable in the nature that he's going to go back and forth like three times. Right. But I guess that's also kind of what makes the show as interesting as it is also. Because he cut... While you you know there's frustration and not knowing, it's also kind of like that's also what kind of keeps you uh, staying in tune. Well, yeah, and it is like at the end of the day and at the end of the episode, you just gotta like personally decide. I don't think Loki's going with Lady Loki to support her mission, whatever it is. I think he's going to over like going to stop her to prove to the TVA that he is a good guy, and then try and overthrow the TVA. Like, you have to personally decide what you think his plan is. Right. Which I'm still kind of scratching my head as to what he's actually trying to accomplish here. Yeah, and I think he, similarly to Owen Wilson, had a great line in this episode. Uh, like, Loki had asked him, why are you sticking your neck out for me? And he gave him, like, two reasons for Loki to choose. Like, either, A, I feel bad for you, kind of, and he put it much better than that. But, uh, like, either A, I'm, I feel bad for you, or B, I just want to get my job done, and I'll tell you what you need to hear. Like, I think Loki's kind of doing the same. Like, I'm just telling people what they need to hear so that I can do my job. Right. But yeah. it seems like Loki's got a new motivation. Like, it seems like at the beginning and middle of the first episode, he was purely still in the Avengers era mindset of like i just want to rule because it's my right and because i've been overlooked my whole life and now it's like 
I've never had free will and I was destined to fail. I'd rather live in a world where I can have free will. And I think he views like the people of TVA as having free will because they get to decide when in time to go back to to fix things or whatever. Like, even though that's not entirely free choice because it's their job to do it, uh, they still have the power and mobility to do so. Yeah, I feel like this and this whole this show seems that like that seems to be the theme of the of the of the series is like the concept of free will um, and how much of it is predetermined and isn't. And I guess also like in our world, depending on what you believe in, you either either is like you either are the master of your own destiny or maybe you're not. Um, and I guess naturally, Loki being the rebel that he is would definitely not be pleased with finding out that it's all just a giant sham. Well, yeah, that's the that's definitely the o- overarching theme of this show. Whereas, like, uh, and I guess it parallels Wandavision's as well, which was more, which was like grief and also free will, sort of. Um, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier was obviously racial issues. It seems like Loki is free will, but also like a power struggle. And I think he views like now that he's learned that the Infinity Stone is something he thought was the ultimate power, isn't really the ultimate power. I think he views, like, if I could be the one, like, the timekeepers writing everyone's destiny, then I'm the most powerful being. This episode flows along pretty pretty well, too. Like, I feel like, and I'm having, you know, in trying to recollect it, I, I literally just saw it this morning, and I'm like, all right, which event kind of came first? But there were two big defining moments in here. The first one was, not the initial tech, the initial setting of, of the Renaissance Fair investigation, and then the second one was that 2050, mm-hmm. uh, Alabama, I think it was. Yep. Um, setting. Let's talk a little bit about the introduction, because uh, we, you know, I think we we could kind of say it at this point, right? It, we are dealing with a, a Lady Loki in in this series. Like that's basically the reveal that we get towards the end of this episode. Uh, but that introduction to her character in the beginning, before you know who you know, what kind of variant Loki this is. I found it pretty interesting, the choice of song <laughs> that she played when she ambushed the TVA agents. Holding out for a hero, yeah. It was kind of... Because at, at first, and I rewound this a little bit, because I'm like, oh, is it like a soundtrack for the show? Like, are we as the audience hearing it? Or is it playing off of the speakers in the in the Renaissance Fair? And it is playing on the speakers of the Renaissance Fair. I wonder then, like, is this is this variant Loki looking at herself as some sort of savior or is she mocking the TVA? Like, I wonder what the motivation necessarily is. Cause that's what had me scratching my head throughout this episode. Well, yeah, there's, there's uh, two good things to dissect there. So you're right on it with the song. The like obvious uh, element to it is that it's set in the eighties, the scene and it's an 80s song. So that's like the clear choice for it. But then a lot of the lyric or one of the repeating lyrics, I guess the chorus, is holding out for a hero. So yes, she does is viewing herself as the hero. But then, uh, like the intro to this to the song is where have all the gods gone? Gone. Um. So I think she's like realizing what Loki is realizing is when you're in the TVA or you're when it's like brass tacks and you can't use your magical power, gods are kind of pointless right like they have no power there 
Yeah, it's kind of like going back to predominantly Christian medieval Europe and dropping the science bombs from today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like the sky is blue for X and Y reasons versus because God painted the sky blue (laughs) kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's almost like this, um, it's this revelry, I guess, towards whoever's in control. Um, Interestingly enough, though, I feel like when it came, when the the way that she ambushed all of these uh, agents, she didn't do much of the physical work herself. She, like, hypnotized one of them into doing her bidding. Mm Mm-hmm. Have we ever seen Loki do that without the scepter in Avengers? No, it's uh, and he seemed familiar with the power when he was talking to her later on in the 2050 mission, but it seemed like it was very Wanda, uh, Wanda-like with the motion of like her hand to hypnotize the person. Yeah, because I know we like Loki in the comics has that power, but I just. I never like to compare it too much to the comics, only because they kind of pick and choose things from the source material. Mm-hmm. And we've never seen it in the MCU. So that's why I was like, it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, is this variant Loki more powerful than our mainline MCU Loki or just more cunning? And that's kind of what it boils down to. But Yeah, that's definitely the struggle of this episode is who is more powerful than whom and basically which one's going to be the master which one's going to be the apprentice when they when it comes down to taking down the tva but the other the other uh interesting or like foreshadowing moment in this scene was uh when they realize it's a trap and the speaker is playing like what seems like uh something that would be used by the renaissance fair people like there's going to be a epic fight here uh they say like the prize is the princess and i guess that lady loki would be a princess right yeah true i didn't catch yeah there was that little blurb message in the beginning right before the song started playing yeah so you can you it was kind of easy to pick up that it's gonna be lady loki by the end of the episode which i'm happy they gave us that reveal because that's something they probably could have held on to for a while for a few more episodes yeah but it's i i find um they have like mcu level humor throughout the episode after like, as they're entering into the renaissance fair after the crime and they discover that uh, lady loki has kidnapped one of the agents um i guess breaking the protocol that they're normally used to because i guess she normally kills everybody and doesn't leave any sort of um doesn't take prisoners i guess yeah so i guess change of plans for her in this attack but uh the 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 interactions that we get between Loki, Mobius, and and the team are kind of are, are pretty funny. They're, they're like almost Marvel-esque humor, but at the same time skewing towards a different level. It's weird. The the to me the tone of these shows, while very reminiscent of mainline MCU movies, they also kind of try to delve into their own, almost like this like they're creating a new kind of template for. What the what an MCU series is going to feel versus an MCU um, movie? Yeah, I think Thor was Ragnarok was one of the bigger ones to make that movement of. Even though we're a comic book movie and we're just about superheroes fighting a villain, we can still have a funny tone. And I think they saw that reaction and they realized 
but we have to put more comedy into our shows. And they do such a good job of balancing it, too, because I feel like I, I haven't bumped into a project for Marvel that I feel like is overwhelmingly too funny. You know, like, I, they do a pretty good job of balancing all that out. Yeah, and it, it really does depend on who the hero is and who the subject is. Uh, but I, I think, like, Captain America would be... I would want less humor. It's it's almost kind of like making sure you have the right lens for the right character, making sure you're viewing them in the right light too. That's there's a scene that plays out, and I might be jumping a little bit ahead, but like after the Renaissance, or sorry, during the Renaissance mission, it seems like Loki just kind of stalls and purposefully delays the team, giving Lady Loki, I guess, a chance to kind of get away. I wasn't really sure what his whole deal was with that. Like, why yeah. he even she goes into that mode? She obviously got away. Um, I think what he wanted to do was... He sort of says it, and I actually do believe him after it. And he says that it's fun being the trickster that when everyone knows you're the trickster, because then you can play on that element of it, where you're doing what they're already expecting, but they can't tell if they should believe it or not. So it kind of goes back to what we were saying before, where it's like, he can... It, from his perspective, he can't lose. Like either he betrays everybody and he's like, "Uh, oh, I should have known," or he actually comes through and is the good guy. And they go, "Oh, I guess I had him judged wrong." Like he, like from his point of view, it's a no, like no lose situation. From my point of view as the fan, it's like I I view it as a no win because <laughs> <laughs> it's predictable either way. Yeah, he's just like a giant troll of the Marvel universe, and I feel like that's, that's kind of what he's picked for. Yeah, God, God of mischief. Yeah, uh, but he does have this one line that actually is pretty true. Uh, when I think I forget her number, I think it was fifteen. The woman who is kind of in charge of the unit, uh, she says we have to go find number twenty, and Loki says that's exactly what this Loki variant wants you to do, and that was like the kernel of truth within his. Uh, his delay or his bluff is that he actually, they, uh, Lady Loki did want them to get out of position and follow her to 2050. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it's, it's, it's almost kind of weird because, like, the way that I was reading that scene was like, oh, is he, is he actually trying to deliberately, you know, join forces with this variant Loki or is he more so, is he legitimately interested in staying the good guy, I guess, in this scenario? Yeah, I think he's a very interesting character because he was destined to go from the god of mischief to basically the god of war and then go full circle to um, the good guy who partners up with Thor and actually gives his life for fighting for a, a good cause against Thanos. He obviously has none of that development and he's still the god of war sort of. Loki, and he he's like a very peculiar case because he's had the uh, ability to see an entire life that he had he was gonna lead in the matter of minutes, and it's somebody who's like also just being woken up to this whole notion of I've never had control over my life, so it's so many things going on in his personal life and in his like brain, what like what does that turn him into? Some sort of anti-hero, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, he could go anyway because of what this experience is doing to him. 
he did get I feel like some sort of light uh, light bulb moment or something when he was going through his own file, I guess, uh, when he found out about Ragnarok and the destruction of Asgard. Mm-hmm. That's where he came up with the idea of like the variant is hiding in the apocalypse. Yeah. Which I think is true, but I also feel like there was something that struck him about the destruction of his home world where there's got to be some follow-up to that, right? Like, I feel like he either is now motivated by trying to prevent that from happening or, I don't know, something. But it, se- it seems to me like there was more to it than just him figuring out, like, oh, it's obvious that the variant is hiding out in these apocalypse scenarios. I don't know. I think it's like he's become so desensitized to what his life could have been because he knows he'll never experience it. So I think he's like, I'm sure that was sad. Like he even like brushes it off when Owen Wilson's like, yeah, no, I know about Ragnarok. It's the destruction of Asgard. I'm very sorry for your loss. And he's like, yeah, it was sad. Well, anyway. And like, he moves on. Like, I kind of think that is pretty true of how he's feeling. I don't know. I I guess I kind of think maybe he does still have some sort of attachment to Asgard itself. If only to rule it. True. I I guess ultimately the question comes down to like how much of a changed man is he after seeing his life play out in a few minutes versus, you know, like the man that he is at the end of Avengers, which would be what what he is now, right? But like, I don't know. He doesn't have the same. I guess the, the his level of growth doesn't have the same impact, I guess, now than it did before. No, not at all. It's just, like, him viewing it as, like, this is what they want me to be. Uh, I'll show you free will, and I won't be that. So I feel like he's steering more into the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does kind of feel that way. Um, there's a scene that I kind of want to touch on. It's the one with uh, the judge and Owen Wilson's character. Yeah, what's her name? Ramona or Ravona? Ravana, I think her name was. Okay. I know I have it written down on my episode one notes because I I totally forgot. But basically, um, Kang the Conqueror's future squeeze. um, (laughs) She. So I didn't think we were going to see more of her necessarily. Me neither. But but she's back and they are utilizing her a bit. And she does definitely has. You know, a little bit of a history with Owen Wilson's character. Um, it kind of had got uh got me thinking though. Like, I wonder if we are supposed to pay attention to some of the stuff that she's saying in terms of like what she's been able to, because obviously she has some sort of influence with the Timekeepers, because she's she says she's doing everything she can to kind of keep them off of Mobius's case, I guess, right? Um, but she's she may be the one of the only people that have seen the timekeepers or is still actively seeing the timekeepers at this stage. Yeah, whenever she talks, I f- get the feeling that like she's obviously a bigger character, uh, and she's hiding something. Like I don't like when she talks, I just got the feeling that like the timekeepers aren't real and it's like an illusion she created to like be in power, kind of like what Loki was saying, like creating these illusions like the that's something that the weak do in order to assume power yeah yeah she's she's definitely a character to watch though because like nobody else has seen the timekeepers i thought for sure owen wilson would have or like no like 
known them. Yeah, it, it, it struck me as odd that we, we, you had that, I guess, like, inclination in the first episode that, like, they're well-known. I mean, there's statues of them everywhere in the TVA. Like, you have their giant floating faces on, on the walls. Yeah, it's just odd that I guess it's kind of an exclusive access kind of thing. Yeah, and then also there's like three different mentions of her having another agent who's parallel to Mobius, like doing the same job, but he's never met. What's that about? I think he referred to him as like an analyst of some sort. And yeah, I know th- whatever his were, position is, yeah. There were people talking about like, oh, that's a reference to Kang. That's Kang the Conqueror. And I was like, I don't know. A, a character like Kang the Conqueror, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say... Like, I don't know. He seems like too grand of a character to just kind of mention as a one-off like that and not have any sort of follow-through. Um, it just, I don't know. It just it, it seems odd to me. If if I were, you know... And again, I'm like I'm trying to like temper my expectations here, but given that she seems to have a history with Owen Wilson's character, I'd almost be like, it sounds like Owen Wilson's character is actually Kang the Conqueror. But oh, yeah, it could be. In, in the making... <laughs> Yeah, my brother had a really good uh, thought. I forced him to watch it. Uh, and he said, he like he immediately was like, oh, Mobius is a really funny name for this guy. Uh, and I had never thought of anything about it, but the Mobius strip, uh, which is like a reference to like the infinite loop, uh, which was also what Tony Stark modeled the ability to time travel on in Endgame. Uh, just uh, It's not that it really direct to anything but just an interesting point that uh, connection there for his name but i guess i could see him as like a kong as a or kang as a twist there but yeah there's definitely something more to her yeah i'm interested to see where the series kind of takes her but because like i said ultimately in the comics at least she's tied directly to kang so whatever's going to happen in the series with her she's definitely somebody to keep an eye on i feel like it's also interesting that one of the objects that he points out is the snow globe probably means nothing but it's interesting that like snow globes are like uh, an entire world trapped in something, which kind of feels like what if I was told that I didn't have free will, I would feel like I was living in a snow globe kind of thing. You know, I mean, like I'm just living out on somebody's shelf, kind of like what they what they want to do with my world. Or fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if the other objects have any like significance, though. I mean, what was the other one that he called out? Roller skate? I feel like there was like a ski reference in there, too. Maybe I'm like confusing this. I think you are. It was roller skate. And then the last thing he pointed out was the pen that he signed the document with. I couldn't see what that said. I'm sure someone will screenshot it and blow it up. But we're recording this on the day that it came out, Wednesday the 16th. Yeah. We'll come back with a whole episode of theories <laughs> in like two or three more episodes from now. But moving on to the 2050 mission, mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it kind of funny how they were like, as he and Loki are, are digging through, obviously, and just to kind of give a little bit of background here, like they hit a little bit of a breakthrough with the reference to the candy that was given to the little kid in episode one of the, the, fir- the first Kablooey. case that we see. It. Kablooey, yeah. I guess they were looking for Kablooey and when it was when it was first introduced into the timeline, at what year, and they're just kind of seeing um, extinction-level events during that time, mm-hmm. which landed them on 2050. One thing that I thought was really, really 
funny <laughs> was the reference to all these different like outbreaks and apocalypse scenarios, natural disasters that'll happen between our time right now and tw- the year 2050. You say funny, I say scary, because those are all going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they just kind of na- brushed them all off, like, oh, oh, that's right, that completely collapsed the ecosystem. Famine, right tornadoes, droughts. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like uh... <yikes. laughs> well, After just living with COVID, I'm like, uh... <laughs> I'd find that deadline's coming up. Yeah, I'm like, I'd find it more funny if we didn't just go through a similar kind of nightmare scenario. But yeah, it was it, I, I did find it kind of funny that they ultimately landed on Alabama 2050, and it seems like to me they're about to like get flooded, right, or something. It seems like it, the state's like underwater. Yeah, it it was something like the day after tomorrow, like right out of that movie. Yeah, so they show up at this like what would be a Costco or something like that, uh, where they suspect that the Loki variant is hiding. And then there's a really good exchange between Loki and Lady Loki's, um, what would you call that? Just like projection in somebody else? I don't know. Her puppet, it's, I guess. Whatever she's... she did with the Agent 20, where she kind of like can assume command of their brain for a little bit. Uh, and there, there's a struggle of who's stronger, like, our Loki still pretends like he is in charge of his plan. Like his plan, he reveals that he wants to overthrow the TVA or take assume command of the TVA and overthrow the timekeepers. And he's pretending that he's stronger. And then Lady Loki's like, no, if anything, I'm stronger than you. And you're just a copy of me. Uh, but they both were very casual in this conversation that this is normal. <laughs> and this is all before we get the actual reveal that it is Lady Loki, but from the from the frame of the hooded figure, you can kind of tell it's like more of a, it, it's less of a masculine kind of silhouette. I don't know. I feel like they use two different ones, like the one in the tent at the beginning of this episode, and the one who was looking at the security cameras had very broad shoulders, and then the Loki that takes down her hood clearly does have uh, more feminine features. So I feel like they had like a second one. It could be. I I thought the one the silhouette in the first episode definitely seemed more masculine to me. Yeah. But in in this episode, I thought it, it looked a lot more feminine. Like definitely like a change in it. But every time we saw it, or just the end? No, just um, mind you. Okay, the the first scene when she, when uh, she ambushes the TVA agents, I can't recall. It's dark and it's fast. Yeah, so yeah. you're not going to get a great judge there. But when they're like, it's very clear when you're looking at it at the security cameras in this 2050 mission. I kind of look back on it because I could have sworn she had like more of a petite look to her than 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 they did in the in the first episode. Well, I watched it twice. I did my work. <laughs> that that is true. You got you got me on one more watch there. <laughs> But how did you feel about this reveal? Like, did you feel like it was, it, it didn't really feel surprising, but are you excited about this? Are you kind of bummed it wasn't like a Freaky Friday where it was Loki looking at himself? <laughs> I just wanted Tom Hiddleston, but with like, you know, feminized. Some, some lip gloss on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um can we get into a little bit of predictions with this? Because I feel like I, I can kind of weave this into this, uh, my thoughts on this final reveal right, here. Don't tell us if, how you felt about it. <laughs> Go ahead. 
I, I thought it was a good reveal. I, I just thought, you know, but I think this is just because we have these conversations both on the show and then offline, right? But obviously we saw it coming. I hate um, when fans get it right, yeah. I I want to be surprised, and this felt like I wasn't. <laughs> it just kind of seemed like we were going to head in that direction anyway. The moment that they started talking about variants of Loki, and I'm like, okay, well. Yeah. From a comic standpoint, that can only mean one thing. Right. Um, I I like Lance the Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that variant. I I definitely I, I liked it. I enjoyed the reveal. I didn't, you know, obviously I was expecting it. Um, more so because I kind of wanted it to happen. Uh, I think it treated it fairly well. The only thing that I'll say is, um. In terms of a variant, she doesn't have too much of a resemblance to Tom Hiddleston, so it just kind of has my wheels turning a little bit in terms of like, is this legitimate Lady Loki from the comics, or are they putting a, like an MCU spin to it? I mean, that monster one didn't, neither did the Simpsons one, so... They all had Tom Hiddleston's face, though. I guess... This there was like a, there was a little green one that was kind of hard to see what it looked like. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I feel I, like there's one thing I just want to add real quick. Yeah. Um, the the reveal itself, I feel like I, I'm I'm with you in terms of like I would rather be kind of surprised of the reveal. Like honestly, I would kill if this uh like the hood was dropped down and that ends up being Mephisto. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or somebody that we're like, oh, finally. Um, but I, I was satisfied enough with it. I just feel like there is a couple of looming questions into whether or not this is actually Loki, or I don't know. Like I, I feel like there's, there might be more to this reveal than we're letting on. Yeah. As far as predictions go, where do you think we are headed next? Well, I had one thing because I was looking at the credits and I didn't like I didn't pay close attention to this until a, a friend of mine had watched it apparently super early this morning. Um, shot me a text right as I'm about to end the episode, and they're like, "Hey, go into the credits and look at the way that they're identifying this character." And there's no reference to Lady Loki in the credits. They credit her as a character called Sylvie, which then for me is like, okay. Like, are we dealing with Lady Loki or are we dealing with uh, another character called the Enchantress? Because there is, I guess, like what what people used to call like the, the or not. Hmm. There's been two characters that that go under that moniker, but one of them is called Sylvie, and the other one I forgot her name, but something with an A. Uh, but they've both been like these love interests, and they've been very heavily associated with Loki in the past. Uh, we've never seen them in the MCU. People have wanted them to to show up at some point. But they've described this character as a variant Loki. So which one is it? <laughs> you know, like is this a variant Loki or is this a whole separate character? There's a few articles on this already, so I won't regurgitate that and pretend like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh so that's interesting though. I didn't notice that. And she he called her Loki and she said, Ugh, don't call me that and then didn't give a alternate name to call her so that is interesting um and it seems like she is using powers that he hasn't used before to your point that you made before 
So uh, maybe it is. Uh, and maybe the TVA just assumed it was a Loki variant. Or maybe at some point, or mind you, it might be a Loki variant plus this character. It might be two people then kind of going back to our conversation. A Loki variant. <gasps> yeah. There's there a whole you go. Loki community living in Pompeii. Well, now you got me thinking because it's like I gotta go back and look at those silhouettes. Because like, if there is a masculine silhouette, then maybe maybe there's two variants here. Yeah, it's anything's possible if everything's on on the table right now. I think as far as like, it's really difficult to make predictions, and I think we uh, expressed that when we were talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier about knowing where they're going immediately next. I have to imagine that she's gonna continue going to. Um, different apocalypse apocalypses so i i don't even know if we're really going to get that much time with loki next next episode because i feel like we have to get all tva to be fixing these branches that are stemming out like crazy otherwise there won't be an episode uh four or five there's six episodes right yeah there's six so i I have to imagine the majority of it is going to be like Owen Wilson and other task force team task force teams to clip all the branches that were just caused. And it looked like there was a lot. It was multiple of these, but the, I was kind of confused until they, until the characters came out and said, Oh, she just bombed the timeline. I was like, yeah, wait, she... they were all disappearing. I was like, wait, I thought she was going to blow them up, which is a great like twist of, uh, expectation versus what they actually do. I thought she was somehow because the um was it number twenty three or the 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 number TBA 20. agent number twenty yeah. the, the one that gave out um the location of the of the timekeepers. I thought she was sending it to them and just kind of straight up murdering the timekeepers, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, it's difficult to know what her motivation is because uh, Loki had posed that he wanted to rule the TVA. And she said that she was, like, beyond that as her mission. And then he said, well, what do you want? And then she also dodged that one. So she, like, in a conversation where uh, we could have learned a lot about her, we only ended up learning more about our Loki. So, like, uh, he is very uh, verbose. Like, he talks a lot. And we'll divulge either the truth or a lie, and it's up to us as the audience to decide which one it is, while she is very close to the vest, and we have no idea. So it's going to be interesting. I think we, not that we won't get any of them next episode, I have to imagine that they'll be at one or two different apocalypses, and they'll kind of be feeling it, feeling it out, see if they, which one's smarter or whatever uh, they're looking to do to compete. But I, I feel like we're going to get a lot of TVA next episode. And then I shot you a text this morning on it, but like, do you think this might be the event that unravels the multiverse for, I guess, Spider-Man and for Doctor Strange? Yeah, well, I think we were both under the same impression that it was going to be Wanda trying to, either her show was going to be the cause, or it was going to be Wanda just like experimenting with her powers that causes some disturbance and rips apart the timeline. Uh, but it seems like that's not going to be the case. I, I feel like it is going to be this Loki uh, 
trying to go back in time or try and put himself back in the timeline or uh, if he does overthrow the timekeepers, then nobody's keeping order, uh, which is going to be interesting because I feel like it's very easy to overthrow the command, but how do you uh, pick up the pieces that they were putting together? Yeah, all this time I thought at the end of WandaVision, Wanda's messing around with reality. That's how she hears her kids. It could be that she's only able to hear them because somebody else has messed up the t- the timeline, I guess. Worse, yeah. Yeah. So now I'm like, I- now I'm rethinking all my theories. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. I I feel like whatever connection they make between this and and Doctor Strange, because it it seems like at least more than the other shows, this show is not shying away from potentially changing things in the grand MCU scheme. Uh, whereas with WandaVision, it kind of did a little bit of nudging, right? But didn't ultimately change anything. Right. Um, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier was basically just to set up the new Captain America. So it didn't really do anything for the grand scheme of the MCU. Whereas this show is just dropping bombshell after bombshell. <laughs> and I guess is here to just kind of cause chaos. Well, yeah, it's the level of power. Uh, Wanda had the power to change the MCU at large, but they chose not to do it with her. Uh, Falcon doesn't have that power. He can only... He's a butterfly. He can only, like, metamorphose into something for himself. Loki doesn't have that power, but they're exploring his interaction with a power that does control everything. I guess if I have to make a prediction for where I see this going is he does succeed with taking out the timekeepers. Either he succeeds or Lady Loki does, um, and he does. he's not able to stop her. That's how I picture the sacred timeline going into chaos, a la multiverse of, uh, of madness. And I picture Doctor Strange filling that void because it seems like that's what the Sorcerer Supreme is meant to do. Um, at least the info that we were given by the previous Sorcerer Supreme in Endgame that she's like there to protect the sacred timeline or the flow of reality. Unless we've all been lied to. And this I is mean, all she was, she was a liar. Yeah, she was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have any like big long-term predictions? I think we will see Kang the Conqueror in this show. Mm-hmm. How um, like what form or. I think we're going to, we're going to start to see the setup of him in terms of like, I, and I don't know, like again, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but we know Jonathan Majors is playing Kang the Conqueror at some point, um, that point being Ant-Man 3, but Ant-Man 3 is so far away, and you don't just cast somebody like three years before they're supposed to show up on the show, because his casting was announced last year. So Did you just say that his debut is Ant-Man 3? Yeah, in 2023. So how is he going to debut here and debut there? No, that's what the, so that's what that's what I'm saying. Like that's what they've said, right? But this is before all the shuffling happened with the with the pandemic and all that. So mm. I kind of think that they're going to introduce him on this show, and then just follow up with a story in um in in, in Ant Man three. Which, by the okay. way, I, now all of a sudden Ant Man three is my most anticipated movie of 2023. Uh, <laughs> You're that far out, huh? I know. <laughs> There's just a lot building up to that um, 
to whatever is going to happen on that on that movie because we got Young Avengers. We now we, a whole bunch of stuff with Kang the Conqueror. I don't know. I, it just seems like we're we're slowly getting into that flow of like almost building this out. It feels like we're building up another Thanos level event down the line again. That yeah, that's what I feel like is the most difficult thing that they have to accomplish. Uh, how do you set up something like that? Um, and I think it has to be bigger than a single person because then it's just going to be comparing to Thanos. I think it has to be an event. It has to be, and I, and I'm trying to think from like a comic book level because they already did Civil War, which was one of the biggest, most recent uh, modern comic events. The, like the Infinity Infinity War stuff happened in the 70s and 80s, comic book wise. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think like what what comic book thing would I, I guess the um God, what do you call it? It's the one where you find the Spider-Man finds his black suit. I'm forgetting the event here. So much for me being the expert on comic stuff on this show. <laughs> that was Venom um, in the movie. I don't know about the book. So, in, yeah, in the comics, he goes to some, like, all the heroes basically get kidnapped by this, like, alien force, and they're fa- they're forced to compete with other multiverses. So, basically, that was Marvel's first multiverse story back in the, I, I believe it was the 80s, uh, where basically the heroes from the main Marvel universe had to face off against duplicates from other universes. And whichever universe would win gets to keep their reality. The rest of them will be decimated. And mm. they're they're shipped off to this place called Battle World. And Spider-Man goes into this vending machine. And he takes out a new costume. And it happens to be the black suit. Um, and then when he gets back to Earth, he finds out that it's actually an alien. It's not an actual suit. He bought it from the vending machine and like got stuck behind a bag of chips and like couldn't fall. So then he's like slamming on it. You know, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's about a very simplified version of events, but yes, you're, you're on the right track. Um, I'm not even joking. You should probably look this up. This is exactly how the no, I know what happened because happens. I was the one who paid for that bag of chips and I never got mine. <laughs> that dang vending machine! <laughs> Damn it! I could have gotten the sweet venom suit. <laughs> Although technically, venom feeds off of your organs, so you might have dodged a bullet there. So, um, I've had worse fates. <laughs> what? <the? laughs> that sounds like a concept for a whole other show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that that's my big prediction. I think um, we're, we're going to see King the Conqueror at some point, and I, you know, I'm not betting anything on it. I just I I do think that genuinely, you're they it does seem like they're making a concerted effort to doing that because otherwise, why would the judge stick around as a supporting character? When she just could have easily been like a one and done kind of deal. Well, she's definitely going to be big in the next episode, too. We see her finish this episode by grabbing her disintegration stick or melt stick, as the Grandmaster would call it. Um, And we see her like storm out of her office. So she's clearly going to fix things. Yeah, she's going to get her hands dirty now. Yeah, I wonder what Owen Wilson's fate is, because it seems like he failed here again. And she said there's no options for if you fail. He's going to become King of the Conqueror. And we actually are being played. And Jonathan Majors isn't actually cast as King of the Conqueror. It's actually Owen Wilson this whole time. Maybe he um, maybe he gets disintegrated. And it's a way to bring Loki uh, back. Sort of like a Phil Coulson dying. I was about to say, I was like, <laughs> he's going to pull a Phil Coulson on us. 
Possibly. Uh-huh. Maybe, yeah. Honestly, I, I kind of hope he sticks around, but I also don't... like. I just like Owen Wilson, I feel like. His, his performance has been really good, but I don't know what else could be done with the character outside of this show. Him just riding a jet ski. Yeah. That or he's actually King the Conqueror this whole time. <laughs> yeah, you're really on that one. <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> you're you're throwing one thing at the wall specifically. It's Owen Wilson. The key is it's been Owen Wilson this whole time. <laughs> Ever since Agatha, I'm just like, all right, which one's the character we gotta watch out for here? I think it's Ramona, Ravona, whatever her name is. Who's gonna drop the biggest bop of this show? Yeah, it's gotta yeah. be Owen Wilson. No. <laughs> the director. All right, well, let's cut it there. Um, been going on for a little longer than usual, but this was a very exciting episode, and we're, we're looking forward to the next week's one. But if you think we missed any key details in this, or if you think there's anything else that needs to be considered, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, at BTFourthWall, 4 being 4th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.